Ultra. Welcome again to Back to the Future Minute, the daily podcast where we have analyzed the Back to the Future movies one minute at a time. I'm Scott Corelli. I'm Nick Jimenez in the news. <laughs> uh, it's back. We're back. Uh, so we are. We have returned as promised for our final week of shows covering Back to the Future, the ride. Uh, we've talked about it. I, I mean, we literally brought up Back to the Future, the ride in our very first episode um, mm-hmm. because it's it's my Back to the Future origin story. Uh, as I'm, I'm sure we'll uh, we'll we'll get to. We'll probably do a little. Uh, uh, reprieve is that the right phrasing for that um of that uh of that story yeah. um but today so so we're going to be talking about the ride um how we're going to break it down is not going to be minute by minute uh but we are we're going to break it down in a different kind of format and today we're going to be talking about the behind the scenes of the back to the future uh ride and basically we're going to talk about um, where, where it came from, like what its origins were, like why it was built. We're going to talk about Universal Studios a little bit. We're going to talk about, um, all kinds of nerdy theme park stuff. Uh, and we're going to talk about the ride itself and what the experience is like for, uh, riders, for passengers on the ride. Uh, and uh, to help us through this, uh, we have, um, from Pele Media, Kyle Crane, a uh, fellow theme park nerd. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Nick and Scott. This is my favorite thing to talk about. I hardly have any notes about this today because I just want to just go off and just chat about this stuff with you guys. So this is such a joy for me to be on Back to the Future Minute again. And thank you so much for bringing me on for this episode. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Um, I, I knew when we were going to do this, uh, you know, I actually I, I reached out to Nick um, a while back and, and asked him, like, who, do, who should we who should we have on for this? And, you know, he he named some people and then like I was scheduling them. But like all of this, all of those names that we brought up to talk about, you know, to have as guests for the rest of the week were all in addition to <laughs> you, who I already knew I wanted on. So, <laughs> um, so, yeah, you're you're absolutely the awesome. first person I thought of uh, when we uh realized we were going to start doing this coverage. So, um, and, and you requested, uh, the behind the scenes stuff, which I'm very glad that you did because, you know, like, like myself, uh, you, you were a big theme park nerd though. Unlike myself, you are more in the Disney camp, whereas I am more in the universal camp. That, that um, is true. I'm actually two weeks away from my next Disney trip right now. So there's a little bit of light packing going on behind me as I'm doing this for, for the next Disney trip. But uh, I want to say I do, like the universal parks. Uh, I, I, I think that there's, you, mm-hmm. you do kind of fall into like one of two camps, I think on what your experience is and what you want to get out of going into the theme park. And while I fall into Disney, when I go there for an extended period of time, I always try to make my way at least over to islands of adventure for a day, uh, you know, to, to check that stuff out. Because I think that as we'll talk about over the course of the show, I'm sure the evolution of those parks, um, they took a swing at the King back around 2010 and they did not miss and right now, I think they kind of have some of the premier attractions to go to. But but I digress. Yes, I'm a I'm a Disney dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Nick, uh, this is going to be an interesting uh, conversation for Nick because Nick has never even been to a theme park before. Oh, Nick. 
Yep, I'm Gosh. just a, just a poor Texas boy <laughs> that never got to go to no theme parks. Did you did you go to Six Flags over Texas even? I we did. I do remember some summers we 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 popped over to uh, Six Flags, but as a small boy, as a tiny boy, I was not a fan of roller coasters. Ah. Um, and still, it's not my favorite thing. I mean, I, I won't ruin a party. If, you know, if, if we're if we're all going on a roller coaster, I'll be like, okay, well, yeah, I'll do this. But Six Flags, uh, for those of you who've never been, is much, it's like 70, 30 roller coasters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And whenever I would go, I remember a handful of times I remember going to like to a Batman show where like mm-hmm. Batman fought like the Riddler and it was all very like Joel Schumacher and I was like, no, this I can get into. But then <laughs> like uh but I always heard about Disneyland and and all of those and I remember thinking that was much more my speed, like walking around in this immersive world as opposed to just like getting on scary rides. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I, so is that, is that a fair, is that a fair comparison to make between a, a Six Flags and a, and a Universal Studios type situation? I, I would say so. I mean, I think, I think the biggest difference is that, um, Dis- the Disney parks and Universal are, are, uh, theme parks and Six Flags and, uh, it's ilk like Bush Gardens and Cedar Point right. are amusement parks. Mm. Um, which is, uh, you know, the theme, the, the, the concept of the theme park is that, uh, you know, it is, you, it, it's meant to be more of an experience than a thrill. Um, although there can be thrills like, you know, big, you know, like water rides with drops and things like that, but it's all built around some sort of narrative theme that Six Flags uh, and it's ilk don't usually bother. Like their idea of a theme is like it's a Batman roller coaster. Why? Because it's black. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like when I when I when I when I came home, I came home uh, for, for over Fourth of July uh, weekend to to be home with my family in Texas. And sure enough, we're driving past uh, Six Flags over Texas, and I see this new ride and i turned to my my nephew and i'm like hey like what's what's that and he's like oh that's the joker ride (laughs) and the joker ride is okay imagine a roller coaster right with its big twists and turns but the carts the individual carts in addition to moving through the i almost call it the trail through the through the track track, yeah yeah the individual little pods are also moving around I've seen this ride. I think it's kind of based on the uh, on gatekeeper like a, design out of uh, Cedar Point, where it's it's they're kind of hanging off the side of the track, not necessarily like attached to it. Like I guess the the device that moves them up and down is is in the center, and you're like on the left or the right of that, so you're spinning while it's moving in kind of a corkscrew fashion, which is uh, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, it, it looked so terrifying, and I don't. I think the way my brain works, because I, I also remember going to SeaWorld, Sorry, I was really young, and uh, <laughs> and there was this there was this thing in SeaWorld, Weirdly, uh, this is all going to tie together. It, it was like you were exploring a a man like a haunted house on a cliff, and 
at one point Christopher Lloyd showed up and he was like, come on. And like, uh, stuff would like, like when you were on a boat, like water would spray you for real. And that, I always remember that was fun. Whenever like, I wasn't like a, I was like an Arnold for magic school bus. I just think Mm -hmm. that if it was in service of a story, I found it easier to stomach those 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 drops and thrills and stuff. But if it was just, hey, this is gonna rock your effing senses for three minutes, I was like, I was like, why? Like, why? <laughs> You're right. Yeah, Not even a I story. Mean, yeah, that's why I never, I never liked going to the fair because all of those, all of those rides are literally just designed to make you dizzy. And I'm like, I, mm-hmm. I can do that at home. Like, I can just spin around in a computer chair until I'm busy, and I don't have to pay you any money <laughs> yeah. for your, your, your janky rides. Um, well, well, fairs were always cool because the rides and fairs were always, with some exception, kind of slower. Like, you know, you would get on those little wavy loos or like. I remember being a big Ferris wheel guy because I was like, oh, this is awesome. I'm never going to yeah, be this in my life. Right. I'm just yeah. a human, but like, but it's going nice and slow. Yeah. Ferris, Ferris wheels are always, they're, they're always fine. Um, they're not, the thrill of them is that like, oh, I'm up high. Um, that's, that's fine. That's all right. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah. Look so at me now, so, God. So let's, <laughs> in your face. So. <laughs> so let's, um, before we talk about uh, Back to the Future of the Ride. Before we get to that, um, we have we have a little bit of a of a long road uh, to get there, um, and it really all starts with, to a certain extent, uh, Disney. Now, before the Disney stuff, uh, you know, Universal actually started the concept of, you know, people paying tickets to be a part of the thing that they do. Um, which is that, you know, you'd pay 25 cents and you ride a little train in 1916 on the universal lot and you'd go and you'd watch them literally make the movies and you could do that because, uh, they were making silent movies. So like, it didn't matter that there was a train of tourists right behind them while they were filming it because they weren't picking up any sound anyway. Uh, and so that was like the first universal tour, which would then, uh, gradually evolve into what we have today, uh, which is, you know, the Universal Resort, uh, which is insane to think of that that's where it started. Uh, but that's where it started. Uh, and it just, it they just kept building it off of that concept and making it more exciting for people uh, and making them part of the movies, which was the whole theme of the Universal Studios experience which is that you ride the movies and and the idea was that you know you know come on this trolley and watch us make this movie and be a part of us making this movie you know and that was the whole theme of the thing and then they sort of carried that through to the beginning of the park and what the concept of of the universal park being that you know movie magic is this cool thing that you probably don't know anything about, you know, come to this, to this park, learn about the movie making process and be part of your, some of your favorite movies. Mm-hmm. That's the whole concept of the park from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, but you were telling me, Kyle, uh, that, you know, while, while universal was deciding that, Oh, we're going to, we're going to make a park in uh, Orlando 
that is going to rival the Disney parks, which at the time, if I'm not mistaken, Disney World was just Magic Kingdom and Epcot, right? Yes. Yeah, this was the third rail in what they had there. Now there are four parks, but this was, well, they have a couple of water parks too, I think, that came online around that time. But yeah, uh, Hollywood MGM Studios, as it was at the time, excuse me, uh, did come on as their third park. And, uh, you know, like we were chatting about at first, it's, it's funny because, you know, like you were saying, Universal Studios came about like in 1915 when they decided to add that on as another way for income. Um, when Walt Disney started looking at doing Disneyland out in Anaheim, one of his first ideas was that it was just going to be there on their lot in Burbank, that it was going to be the same thing. You just get a tram and go around and meet Mickey Mouse and shake his hand at the very end. But then as he kind of like elaborated on the idea... Uh, he decided like, well, this Thank could you. actually be cooler if we tied it into our TV show, you know, our, our Disneyland series. Um, so it's funny that originally he was ripping off Universal Studios to that degree. Well, you fast forward later when Michael Eisner is the head of Paramount. Uh, he took some meetings with Universal Studios over actually developing what would have been the Universal Studios project in Orlando, Florida. And during these meetings at the time, uh, he was actually able to see all their plans for Universal Studios. Um, so when he becomes head of Walt Disney Studios, he decides, uh, we got to get on this before they do. And they start rushing production on MGM Studios. Um, before that, Disney had uh, plans for a movie-themed a pavilion in Epcot Center, and it was just going to be the great movie ride, which, uh, you know, we spoke a little bit about this earlier, is actually, let me look at the clock right now, oh, has just closed down forever in the last three minutes. So uh, today is the final day that that ride was going to be open, and they've just actually closed the park uh, at 9.30 uh, East Coast time. So that ride is no longer uh -huh. there, which is funny because it was the last original ride of either of those two parks uh, that was online. So, um, yeah, so Michael Eisner was actually able to see these plans. And when he got to Disney, uh, it, it, he put a lot of money into the parks. Uh, you know, people say a lot that, or that Bob Iger has been really good for Disney's bottom line as he's been CEO of the company, but Michael Eisner dumped most of their time and money into developing the parks as a, uh, even bigger vacation destination in Orlando, Florida. So even though when Universal Studios opened, Disney took out a full page ad in the Orlando Sentinel saying, uh, welcome to uh, welcome to Orlando Universal Studios. What's what's good for theme parks here is good for all of Central Florida. They were kind of had this handshake agreement that it was going to be kind of a you know um it w you know it's better that we work together than we work against each other. Uh, he definitely had knowledge that they were going to build that park there and actually rushed MGM Studios into uh, to development and to open, I think, like an entire year before Universal Studios came online. And it showed because when MGM Studios opened, there was just like a handful, like maybe like two attractions in the whole park. And uh, even though it made a lot of money, it suffered for it critically in its first year. But uh, yeah, it was that's kind of the, the strange story of the, the uh, arms race that they found themselves in in the late 80s, early 1990s to get those two parks open, as opposed to the arms race they were in. And now where Universal Studios uh, kind of you know, threw down the gauntlet with the develop uh, the, the development of the Wizarding World of Harry Potter and kind of like raised the stakes across the board. So, well, and what what's interesting about the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, which is like their biggest attraction currently, um, which is basically, I mean, it's it's built to be, uh, it's in the style of a Disney park. Which is that um, when you're there, you feel like you're in that world. And there's nothing about it that 
is about movie magic or about movies in general. Right. And there's nothing about Universal Studios that is really like that anymore. With the exception, I guess, the one exception I can I guess I can point to is the mummy, uh the mummy Revenge of the Mummy ride. Um, mm -hmm. which is like a weird meta ride where the mummy is attacking the filming of a mummy movie. It's um, so weird. Yeah, I love, it's it. A, I love it, it, but it's so weird. Oh, it's a it's a fun, phenomenal ride. Uh, but it, it is it is a bizarre story. Uh, is it emo? Uh, it is, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, mm. yeah. It's really it's really interesting because like Brendan Fraser is in it, but he's Brendan Fraser. He's not his character from the Mummy. He's it, it does this really bizarre thing too when you say it's like a meta take on roller coasters. That and I'll go ahead and spoil this for anyone who hasn't ridden the Mummy roller coaster. It has a false ending to it. Uh, it appears that it's coming to an end, mm -hmm. uh, and you know, you're almost to the point where you can unbuckle your seatbelts, and then out of nowhere the ride restarts for another like thirty seconds. It, I've, I haven't seen any roller coaster really do anything like that up until that point in time. But uh, yeah, it's a very weird, very cool ride. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I mean, they've basically uh, abandoned their original theme. Uh, mm -hmm. And and now it's just every ride is just a thing they own and they turned it into a ride. So there's, you know, there's Shrek 4D. That's just a Shrek 4D thing. And there's the Minions and that's just a Minions thing. And there's, you know, uh, Transformers and there's Fast and the Furious and there's Men in Black and... All of these rides and the Simpsons ride and all of these rides are just themed for this particular franchise thing that they own and they there's it's just a ride and there's a, there's a story to it there's a narrative but it doesn't have anything to do with the making of movies or anything like that which is what the original conceit of the park was but as things changed, um, one of the things that changed is that all of these rides like Jaws and like E.T., I, I think E.T. might be, is that, the, is that the only ride that's still open? Is that still open? It is, yeah. Actually, you know, yeah. now that I say that, that I, I kind of go back on what I said earlier about all the rides closing as of today. You're right, E.T. is open, and from what I understand, Steven Spielberg has actually stepped in and said, you can't tear this down to build Nintendo Land when that comes along. So I think E.T. might be safe until Spielberg passes. What's his wow. home? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, all of the original rides, the way that they were conceived was basically, okay, here's how movies work. This is what you do. So like, for example, you have the earthquake ride. And the idea was that you would learn how movie magic, how special effects worked. Like this is how we accomplish these special effects. And you would see how blue screen works and you would see how uh, miniatures worked and you would see how all of these things worked, stunts and things like that. And then you would get on what a train. What teamsters do. Yeah. And then you would get on a train and you would ride the train into a subway stop and then there would be an earthquake and the, the like you would get gallons of water would rush toward the subway and there'd be fire and the road would be cracking. And <laughs> Wait, that was that would happen every that had to happen every time you couldn't avoid that. Yeah, no, no, no. I yeah. mean, that was the ride. That was the experience. It was literally oh, it resets okay. itself. Okay. If you look behind it, it everything. Right back yeah. Out. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I, think I, I think I I missed the beginning of it, and I was picturing that being just like the uh, the equivalent of driving through the Jurassic Park gate. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you, had to, you had to simulate an earthquake and almost drowning in your subway car <laughs> to, no, get no, to, no. The, to get to the park. <laughs> 
Okay. So, so, so anyway, so that's, so that was, and that was the ride. So it was like, it was like, okay, so here's all of these different things. And then this is what it feels like to be in the movie when something, when this, right. when the special effects are being used and it would, it would be lots of things like that. You know, the Alfred Hitchcock show was a similar kind of thing. It was showing you how he pulled off like the tricky camera angles and things that he did. And there was like a murder. She wrote presentation about sound effects and directing and things like that. There's a horror makeup show, which I'm sure is still going on. Um, and, and all of these rides all had that angle to them, which was a learning, like a learning kind of angle where you would learn about how movies are made and then experience the movie firsthand. Mm-hmm. And so it was, that was sort of the whole theme for the park. And then back to the future, the ride opened and back to the future, the ride abandons all of that because it just creates a scenario where all of that is real. The back to the future universe is real and you are coming to the Institute of Future Technology, which is a a whole thing that Doc Brown created after Back to the Future Part 3, and you are visitors and volunteers for a time travel experiment. And it's a whole... You, it has nothing to do... The movies are not movies in this ride. You are in the movie. And this was the... This was their... This was absolutely, without a doubt, their most popular ride. It saved the park. Um, this ride did because it was so popular when it opened and everyone was calling it the best ride they'd ever been on. I mean, it was like pretty much unanimously everyone, even Disney nuts would ride it and be like, wow, that was unbelievable. Um, and you know, to the point where everything escalated and now we're in a place where everything is just this at the universal parks, everything is back to the future of the ride as Um, a, as a younger person the idea of that first concept seems so weak to me. I mean, I, I I know it wasn't, but that to me, the idea of like, you're in the movie, here's a fun ride. That is the obvious choice. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting that that at one point was like a very novel idea. Well, cause I think it wasn't, it was that I think universal was trying not to rip off Disney. They were trying to do their oh, own thing. Okay. Yeah, sure. they, were, they were trying to do their own thing, and then they did Back to the Future, and it was so popular, they were just like, well, screw doing our own thing. Let's just do that. Yeah. Um, so this was like their one, Back to the Future ride was like their Wonder Woman. Essentially, yeah, basically. It's like, you know what, if, 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 if the math's right, let's just do the formula. Yeah, yep. That's exactly what it was. And, and, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like, um, not everything was like earthquake. Like it wasn't as pushy as earthquake was about, Mm -hmm. you know, the movie magic of it all. Um, but it was, uh, it was definitely, it wasn't supposed to feel like you were in the movie so much as you were on set experiencing what it would be like to be on set for the movie. And so things like the confrontation, you know, it was when you, when you got, when you went into it, it was like, okay, you're going to be extras in like a, in in a King Kong movie. And then you go in and you're going through the King Kong movie and you're seeing, you're getting the confrontation. It's this whole thing. And then on the other end, they're like, oh, great job. You guys did a great job. You all reacted great. Go get your pictures so you can see what you looked like in the movie. And like, that was like the idea of it. And, and for me as a kid, as someone who loved movies and, 
I, I think that it was my trip to Universal the first time that made me fall in love with this whole concept of movie magic, of backlots and practical effects and all of this. I think it was my trip to Universal Studios that made me love all of that and, and appreciate it on a level that, uh, you know, a lot of younger people don't appreciate because what even is that now? It's such a novelty. And that's that's why all that stuff had to go away because there's no such thing as practical effects anymore. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so like the idea of like teaching people about the, you know, movie magic and, and the, you know, uh, practical special effects and all these things, it's, 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 it's like ludicrous, you know? I mean, it's, it's, you know, kids would have no idea what any of this stuff is and none of it is even really relevant to the things that you, to the movies they're seeing in theaters today. Um, You'd almost have to add another layer of distance to where like enter the world of 1938. When like, (laughs) which is, which is basically what the great movie ride was. Right. (laughs) I think modern equivalent for today would be like a, you know, here's Instagram, the ride, you know, or (laughs) yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, And so, you know, what it really, what it really came down to was that, uh, you know, back to the future, the ride. And what's funny is that back to the future, the ride originally wasn't going to have a narrative like this. Originally it was going to be um it had a, it had the original director of of the back to the future ride the first person that they gave it to um uh whose name i have lost i think david Dave, no david devos did the um the uh q uh footage um i've lost his name i forgot to write it down i lost his name um anyway he got so fu- time. he got fired um Okay. So he worked on this for a year, this ride, and he worked on this ride for a year. And what he basically did was he fit it into the theme that the rest of the Universal Park was, which was like, OK, let's see. You know, it's it's, you know, ride the movies. It's be a part of the making of the movies. And so he made this ride where you're in a DeLorean flying over the events of the movies. And and so okay. you're like flying over 2015 Hill Valley, but it's uh, it's it's you know it's what's happening in Back to the Future Part Two. It's like the hover the hoverboard chase, and then you're in 1955 Hill Valley, and then you're in um, the Old West Hill Valley, and and you're just in the air above it, looking down at, at the events of the movie. Uh, while avoiding blimps for some reason, because there was a bunch of blimps in the ride for some reason. Um, oh, I remember those from the movie. Yeah. 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 All those blimps. <laughs> um, and so uh, apparently uh, Bobby Z and Bobby G, uh, they rode the ride and got off of it and said it was one of the most God awful experiences <laughs> they had ever had. They had ever had. Uh, it was boring. Uh, it didn't feel like the movies at all. It was bizarre and just not fun. Uh, you had to choose to kill either Doc or Marty at the end of the ride. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I mean, it was apparently, ter- it was just boring. It was a boring ride. And, uh, you know, they, they said like, look, if you're going to do this thing where you're going to ride the move, you're going to be a part of the, 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 the ride, like be a part of this world. Like it needs to feel like a back to the future adventure. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they gave it to another director who uh, you looked up information on, right, Nick? Yes. So 
uh, enter. Uh, 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 okay, so <laughs> I had a lot of stuff that I wanted to share, but then earlier today I watched the video that we're going to be talking about, and now I, I don't <laughs> want to talk about anything else. <laughs> yeah, but, no, um, we'll get there. We'll get there. I so, but I do want to very so that the, so this isn't a two hour long podcast. I do want to briefly touch on uh, a man that some of our listeners might be familiar with. Indeed, some of our uh, minute movies by minute people would do well to uh, know about because he worked on the movies that they talk about. And I want to talk about Douglas Trumbull. Uh, Douglas Trumbull was born an L.A. native. <clears throat> uh, he's still with us today. He's still alive on this plane of existence. And he is a American film director, but uh, perhaps more influentially, he is a special effects supervisor. And he was the uh, special effects supervisor for movies like Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Star Wars The Motion Picture, Blade Runner, and most recently The Tree of Life. And uh, he is a pioneer and still a uh, staunch defender of what he calls organic effects, which is using the elements and uh, of effects of uh, of real life of the natural world and letting that inform the effect rather than designing it in a computer wholesale mm-hmm. um which you know i and then he also he, he's currently what he's been up to now is um he's very much a, a pioneer of uh high frame rate cinema mm-hmm. which uh i have yet to be personally convinced of as a format but i i will say if there's anyone who having man like douglas trumbull at the forefront a forefront of that emerging art form makes me hopeful mm-hmm. that eventually okay well there has to be something to this because if douglas trumbull wants to like dedicate the remaining years of his life to this you know like that maybe there has to be something but um so he saw Back to the Future, the ride, as an example of something he had been working on and 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 trying to uh, prove could be a a thing that that audiences would go to called uh, immersive cinema. Uh, so he was told very early. So yeah, so the ride, the first couple of drafts of the ride, according to uh, Trumbull, and this is from a, a Vulture article called "The Man Who Has Changed Movies." Uh, several times once to try again and they, they kind of like go through his uh career and onto the back of the future ride he mentioned that uh you know they had been through a couple of drafts nothing was going right so they they came to him and they're like hey you've done all this great stuff with visual effects can you help us and so his idea was that you're no longer sitting in your theater seat looking at a regular screen uh you're in there they they told him that you because of copyright reasons they actually aren't allowed to use marty or or michael j fox at all for for contractual reasons and uh trumbull said well i could use that as a gift because you actually don't need michael j fox because in this ride you are michael j fox Mm -hmm. you are going to be that person that is running around having the adventure and uh he was very proud of it um uh, trumbull is he's not a humble man uh (laughs) D- despite it rhyming um so his <laughs> his um his his impressions of it he compares the back to the future ride 
on the level of uh, like George Millier and Thomas Edison. Um, he, he says, he says, quote, it's probably the most immersive, dramatic, cinematic experience ever produced. And yet it's very misunderstood. Um, so he actually thinks that it shouldn't be considered a ride. Rather, it should be considered like a new kind of cinematic experience. And I can't, I have, I am, I, it is, it is impossible for me to ride this ride ever. So I don't, I don't know how much of that is um, hyperbole, but uh, if it is, Douglas Trumbull certainly is no stranger to hyperbole. I don't know. I don't know what else. The closest that I can think of that was out at the time that Back to the Future was out was Star Tours and Body Wars. I think that's, those are the only two, right? Well, there were some like mall type exhibits like this. I remember around this time actually going to a mall and they had like a motion simulator type thing set up of a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. So I think that like motion simulators existed, but they didn't exist in the same way that Back to the Future the Ride existed, which I, I, and I think it really did take the motion simulator idea and really improve on it. Because as much as I love Star Wars, Star Tours really never did it for me until they came out with the 3D glasses version that debuted like in uh, 2009 or 2010 or whenever it came out. Uh, but this, you know, the way that it was presented in, you know, I'm sure you guys will get to this at some point, but kind of in a dome projection system really added something to the whole experience. So I think he's he's right to be proud of what he did. It was a great ride and it really did kind of push the motion simulator thing in the right direction. But, um, you know, comparing himself to Thomas Edison, mm. uh, that might be a stretch. <laughs> um yeah but uh yeah so so okay so what's what's interesting is that um trumbull came to them with the concept of there's an it's a chase it's a chase film there's another delorean Mm -hmm. you're in a delorean you're chasing this delorean you have to ram it to send it back to the present uh, and it would go to 2015, the Ice Age, and the Jurassic period. Um, those were his basic. That was it. It was just it was those three time periods, and uh, the idea of it being a chase thing. And then they, but they didn't know what a story was, and so for uh, for time they were playing with the idea of well maybe maybe it's Einstein in the other car, and you're trying Einstein's just you know madly driving through time, and you're you're trying to get Einstein back, and you you need to bump it so that you can get Einstein back to the future. And they were like, well, I don't, we don't know how to set that up properly without it being absolutely ridiculous. Um, and so they were like, well, maybe it's an alternate universe doc. Maybe it's, it's the doc from the alternate 1985 and he's evil doc and he has a DeLorean and he's trying to change stuff or something. Uh, and they basically that it's at that point that they realized that they needed to go to a screenwriter. And so they came to a screenwriter who was a a huge self-professed back to the future nut. And they pitched him this idea. And he said that that is a betrayal of back to the future. That doesn't feel like back to the future. There is no evil doc Brown. Don't do that. Um, You have a perfectly good villain. Just use Biff. And they're like, well, what would be the story? And this screenwriter, uh, a, 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 a young fella, a long, young little, uh, young little whippersnapper by the name of Peyton Reed, uh, pitched. Uh oh, 
pitched them the ride, uh, the the storyline for Back to the Future, the ride, and uh, they gave him the gig and he wrote it. Um, and after writing the the screenplay for the ride, uh, they gave it to Bob Gale. He changed, I, I notoriously, he changed two words that Doc says um, to to make them uh, sound more like Doc, and that was it. It was basically an untouched screenplay, uh, which is really impressive considering no one but Bob Gale and Bob Zemeckis had ever written a Back to the Future anything at this point. Um, so that's really uh, surprising. But uh, yeah, Peyton Reed, um, I mean, he wrote a great script for a ride. I mean, you know, it's cheesy the way the rides typically are, you know, there, there's, mm-hmm. you know, you're always going to stretch, uh, you know, believability and, and you really have to bend over backwards to make all of this feel natural. And I think that. I mean, as a kid, I didn't even notice, like as a kid, this was as in canon and as important to me as the movies were. Um, it all just felt like part of this franchise to me. Yeah, like like a, a true a true extension of the world and the way that I I'm sure that every theme park for, you know, I, I, I mean, that that's absolutely what the goal has to be. I mean, with Star Wars land and you know, Avatar world, it feels like we're almost at the cusp of this new renaissance of theme park attraction where it's, it, but that, that, but I think, I don't know the, from an outsider's perspective, this ride seems to me like the, uh, agent zero of, of that. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does. And you know, the ride was really uh, true to the spirit of the franchise, which I think is the most important thing that it that it gets right with it. You know, is that you feel like you're stepping into the world. You know, the theming is right. It does feel like when you get into the, you know, uh, I, I remember the name of the um, the institute, like the Time Institute or whatever. You kind of, for a second, as a kid, have to ask yourself is this real? Did I actually step into this? You know, are we about to actually get into a time machine? Oh, no, I'm not actually going to do that. But it, it, as long as it is true to, uh, I guess, the, the the charm of the of the franchise, then it works really well. And Back to the Future of the Ride definitely did that. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that because as a kid, um, when I when my dad took me here for the first time, because this opened in May of 91 uh, in Florida. It didn't open in California until June of 93. Uh, and then for some reason, it just randomly opened in Japan in March of 2001. Uh, that happens. It's which so was the last home. Yeah, right. That the ride ever had, I think. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, but it's it's very, it's bizarre that it opened 10 years after the original opening. Uh, it's very, mm-hmm. it's very strange. Um, but in any event, uh, when it opened in Florida in 91, I think I wrote it for the first time either that summer or the following summer. Um, maybe, maybe, uh, 92. And I remember getting on the ride and I don't know anything about back to the future. And so I was just watching all of this, like, okay, so I'm a volunteer. I'm going to travel through time. That's weird. Um, and you know, as a seven year old, like you buy all of this stuff, hook, line and sinker. Like if adults are telling you a thing, if very official videos are telling you a thing, you're like, wow, this is really going to happen. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) And then you meet this, like this crazy guy who dresses like he's from the fifties and, 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 you know, gets, uh, gets phrases, turns of phrases wrong. And you know, all of this, like stealing a car and you're going to go get it. And then. What happens in the ride, so you're in an exterior uh, queue 
first and you're you're outside uh in in this in this line and you're moving through and there's TVs that are like showing a loop like basically like a 20 20 minute or 15 minute loop of material um basically welcoming you to the fu- the the Institute of Future Technology um and then you uh move inside and you start to get the narrative of the of the actual ride that like Biff stole a DeLorean and that um, you have to get it back. And then when you're inside, you're in like a, like a queue. There's like, um, I believe it's like 12 lines that are, are lines of eight people because there's eight people in each DeLorean. Um, and then you, from that point, you move into the next part of the queue, which is the actual like pre ride section where you walk down a hall and you go into a room and you get a safety presentation, uh, and you get a little bit more of the plot, like the last bits of plot, uh, as like Doc is like prepping the DeLorean that you're going to take to chase after Biff. And then you go into the next room and that's where the DeLorean is and you get in the, the DeLorean. It's an eight seat uh, convertible DeLorean. Uh, and then uh, you ride the ride. And, you know, when I was seven and I was in once I got through the uh, line where, and it was like each step in the process, I'm a seven year old and I'm just thinking, they're talking an awful lot about traveling in time. And they're saying I'm a volunteer. I don't remember volunteering for anything. <laughs> this is weird. And then you get inside and they're like, you have to save, you know, you have to stop him. He stole a time machine. He's going to mess up the time space, you know, continue like the whole thing. And you're like, why, what, what, why are we doing this? What? Like, you know, and I was starting to get really stressed out. And then I'm in the uh, in the safety presentation room before getting on the actual ride itself. And it's like a little room. It's supposed to be an elevator um, is is the idea. It's like kind of themed to look like an elevator. Uh, and while you're in there, you're basically waiting for the ride on the other side of the door to end and the people to get off before they open the door. And so you're in a room that's like themed like an elevator and lights are moving like you're in an elevator, you know, um, while you're watching the safety presentation. And it was in there that, uh, someone else was talking about having ridden the ride before. And they're like, yeah, you, you there's a dinosaur and you get eaten by the dinosaur and spit <laughs> back out into lava. And I was like, Nope, no, no, I'm not doing this. No. And I start freaking out uh, to the point where like I, my dad had to like escort me off the ride. Um, so I didn't even write it that first time that we waited in line. Uh, and we, 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 we left and my dad was so angry and was like, it's just a ride. It's not real. I was like, everything was pretty, <laughs> seemed pretty real. And then, um, finally, uh, he coaxed me before closing when the line had gone down. Cause he was not about to wait in that line again. Um, so we it was near closing and he finally coaxed me into writing it again. And it was the most amazing writing experience I've yet to beat that writing experience of writing back to the future. The first time as a seven year old, it was magical, unbelievable. Um, nothing like it. And then at that point I was like, what was all that? And then that's when my dad sat me down and we watched the back to the future trilogy for the first time. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I met all of those characters except for Marty. Marty was the last (laughs) character. So we start watching that movie. I'm like, who's this guy? Because (laughs) 
<laughs> He's not in the ride, so I didn't know who that was. Um, hey, Scott, I'm a symbol of youthful adolescence <laughs> in the 1980s. I'll be your best friend forever. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, this, this ride is, uh, it changed everything for universal and yeah, I mean, the way that it works is essentially that, um, you're in a, you're in a room, you get into the DeLorean, um, the DeLorean blacks out and the room fills with smoke. And then as it's filled with smoke, the, you're, 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 the room that you're in is a garage. And so there's a garage door right in front of you. And then when mm-hmm. the, when the smoke goes up and everything, um, the idea is that like, Oh, the garage door is opening and you can feel yourself lifting off the ground. And so there, you know, you're like, you're going through the garage door, but really what's happening is you're lifting up through a hole in the ceiling into the, uh, the Omnimax, uh, dome, which is just this giant IMAX dome shaped IMAX screen where you can't see anything but the screen. There's nothing else. Um, and then when you lift up and the smoke clears, the screen turns on and you've hit 88 miles per hour and you are, uh, traveling into 2015 and the ride starts and it's, it's so immersive and so incredible the way that it's done. And, and it's just, and it's really smart because one of the things that they said when they were building this ride is you have to get 1800 patrons through the ride every hour. Yeah. Which is, that's kind of how they judge the successfulness of these rides. So what's a people eater? How many can you move in so we can get them back out to the gift shops, you know, where places to eat with the overpriced food in the park. But that's uh 1800 is uh it's a pretty good number of people per hour. I mean, it's, it's madness. I mean, that's, that's so many people. When you just think of like 1800 people and each car holds eight, right? Like that's so many people, but you know, there were, um, there were 12 vehicles, uh, per screen. Um, and there were two domes on one on on the right and on the left of the building. And, uh, yeah, I mean that, uh, you know, that's, that's basically how they did it. And then like, if you, if you kind of like picked, lifted yourself up a little bit out of the seat and look to your left and your right, you would see the other cars, but there were like kind of like wall partitions, like short wall partitions surrounding you to sort of like keep you immersed and make you feel like you're the only car. But I mean, it wasn't, it really wasn't the design of the ride. Like when you look at it, um, if you see a shot of it, like from the outside, when you're just like, you're, you're like just standing in the room where all of this is happening in the theater. Um, it's not that different from the Hanna-Barbera, Jimmy Neutron Minions ride. Right. Really? That's one ride? Uh, well, <laughs> oh, I wish. Over, over, the, over the course of like 20 years, yes. Um, it, it's changed. Okay. It was it was Hanna-Barbera first, and then it was Jimmy Neutron and the Nicktoons, and then it was oh. Minions. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's changed hands a couple of times. But yeah, I mean, it's right. the one the one that's the one that's in that video that we we're going to talk about. Uh-huh. Um, so it was it was a similar it was a similar uh, kind of setup. Only that wasn't an Omnimax dome. That was just like a regular theater screen. Um, but it was still like a similar setup where you're just you're in a theater with a bunch of other people and you're all watching the same movie and the seats are moving. I mean, that's basically what it was. But it was done a little more immersively than that one was. Um, because there was never an explanation as to why the seats were moving and that they just were <laughs> like you were supposedly in some sort of spaceship thing, but like there was a lot of people and all of the seats were moving independently. So 
there was a lot of questions about like the logistics of that. Um, but uh, sure. In any event, uh, the Back to the Future ride, the design of it was just really, really, really well done. And um, since then, you know, there's been other rides that have like tried to emulate it and uh, build off of it and improve upon it. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, it changed universal forever. It was a very important ride in the history of theme park rides. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I want to stress again that, um, you know, sticking to the, uh, kind of the, um, themes and, and nature and, uh, spirit of, of the, uh, of the, of the franchise, I think that that cue you were talking about is very important because an immersive cue like they had for this, they didn't really exist to that degree before this ride. You know, this was one of the first ones that actually used a film when you were going onto the ride to kind of prep you for what was about to happen and, and inevitably go wrong as these as these rides tend to do. But it, uh, it it definitely set the standard for its day for cue immersion and interactiveness. And now it's pretty much any ride you go on. There's like a five minute video where Felicia Rashad comes on and says, "Hey, we're going to be going back in time to see dinosaurs or whatever to get you ready for it." But Back to the Future was the one that actually saw the potential in several stages of prep before you got onto the actual ride itself to the point that you know, if you're a seven-year-old boy going on this for the first time, you start to question, like, am I actually going back in time or is this a ride? Is the dinosaur actually going to eat me? But it uh, it was a breakthrough in a lot of ways. It's a breakthrough in, uh, you know, using... Um, I guess that uh, right. the uh, Omnimax theater, uh, because Disney actually ripped that off in Soarin' Over California. They flipped it upside down and kind of had like an erector set style, mm -hmm. you know, dangle the audience over it instead of sitting them down underneath it and looking up uh, to the sky. So it, uh, it's, it's been ripped off several times. And uh, I think it's um, I actually think the Simpsons ride uh, is actually a, a pretty great uh, torchbearer for what it did originally as well. I think that they uh, I don't know if that necessarily improved on everything that Back to the Future did, but I think it's a. Uh, it, it's a hell of a ride in its own right. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's a little smoother. Um, right. and you know, by design, because you're on a roller coaster track. So that's a little different than, you know, free, you know, free flying in a <laughs> DeLorean. Um, but yeah. it's, uh, my, my biggest problem with the Simpsons ride is like, why do you make that a CG ride? That doesn't, <laughs> why, why would you, why the Simpsons aren't CG? Why? Why would you, why would you do that? Like make it look like the Simpsons. Oh, that's stupid. Um, but in any event, yeah, no, I mean, it, I, I think they did a really good job of, uh, letting like building the Simpsons into that facade that they had already built with the back to the future and using that to their advantage. And, uh, it's very similar. The, the story, it's just, you replace, you know, sideshow Bob with, with Biff and you know, there you go. It's kind of kind of a similar concept. Um, I remember thinking that the first time that I wrote that, uh, thinking that. But uh, but like you said, as far as like the legacy of this ride, um, apparently like the next big step in this concept uh, of this like fully immersive ride experience, the way that this is done, um, has uh, happened in the uh, the uh, Avatar Land in uh, Animal Kingdom. Um, apparently, uh, yeah. the ride, the, the ride there, not the river ride, which is just like animatronic uh, flight passage. Yeah, yeah. But the flight of passage is apparently so unbelievably immersive. Like, uh, 
uh, you know, I, I've heard stories of people like refusing to get off. Like when it ends, they're just like, no. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> apparently uh, that's the next uh, the next uh, in line of this legacy that started with this ride. Yeah. You know, l- little things like that. Um, so Avatar Land. Is yes. Yes, it is. It opened, uh, I guess, like two months ago, I think. And I've heard rave reviews from people that, you know, it was when Avatar Land was originally announced, there was a lot of pushback from a lot of people saying, well, why aren't you doing this with Star Wars with some sort of other uh, franchise that maybe has a, has more of a cultural impact than Avatar. Uh, but I think that their um, idea there was that Avatar is huge overseas. And at the time they started planning this, the dollar was kind of like devalued or low. And the idea was, well, we're going to get Chinese tourists to come to Orlando. We're going to get foreign money to come in because Avatar's huge in Brazil and huge in China. Uh, and uh, it's it has, from what I've understood, uh, taken a lot of the detractors who didn't understand why Disney chose this franchise to go with and kind of silenced a lot of that. Uh, like Scott was saying, I hear that Flight of Passage is is the next evolution in, uh, in, in theme park, uh, interactiveness. I've, I've heard nothing but rave reviews about it. So apparently when you get on this thing, that's supposed to be your Banshee that you're riding, they actually have bladders around your knees, uh, that will fill up with air and it's supposed to be the Banshee breathing. So whenever you take like a huge dive in the attraction and it's, it's kind of based on the Soren system as well, which is that the Omnimax is below you and on either side of you and you're extended out over it. So you're kind of like looking down into the action as opposed to back to the future of the Simpsons, where you're actually looking up at everything uh and this you know you'll take a dive and then all of a sudden these bladders will expand as if the you know the the, the banshee is breathing as you're as you're going on it so it's uh yeah taking that kind of like a immersion that back to the future did so well uh just with the delorean lifting out of that garage and just kind of like completely removing the illusion of what's going on it, it's they've taken it to the the next logical step so hopefully star wars land will have something to add after that Mm-hmm. And Avatar Land is in Florida. Yeah. It is, yes. It is in Disney it Animal Kingdom. Not, it took over right. what used to be Camp Mini Mickey over there. Sure. And it's it's really and it's the were, first it, and, all, and all of the and all of the survivors were are, are being dealt with with a court. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's and it's the first um it's the first uh sort of selling point that Animal Kingdom has really ever had. Mm-hmm. Um because, mm-hmm. you know, Animal Kingdom, it always seemed like was just like Disney being like Bush Gardens, huh? Yeah. yeah and it's funny because that's we'll, kind of. We'll show you. That, that's, that's, Everyone was like, why? <laughs> that's kind of what they do with each of their parks. Uh, you know, uh, 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 Epcot was just kind of an extension of the World's Fair. And Hollywood Studios was the extension of the Universal tram ride around a working studio lot. Because at the time they had film production there, too. So Animal Kingdom was them saying like, well, what can we do with a zoo? And for a while they had, they had a few that actually, I really love animal kingdom. I think that that's really where you get the first kind of like thematic aversion, uh, like a total immersion experience, especially in their Asia section. But, uh, yeah, it's, I think avatar land was the first time that they took like a property that didn't actually belong to Disney and say like, okay, people are, are interested in immersive experiences. Like they are Harry Potter. Let's, let's do it with avatar over here. That does remind me, uh, that, uh, we did have a video that we want to talk about. So let's, let's, let's go ahead and oh, talk that's about right. that really quickly. Um, because that video there, so this is something that I just sort of like stumbled across (laughs) when I was doing my research for this. Um, it is a video and I remember this video when I watched it, I remembered it because I was living in Florida at the time and, uh, all Floridians got one of these in the mail. I think all Floridians over a certain, uh, a certain household dollar amount, um, would get this uh, uh, just a free VHS of this in the mail from Universal, and it was about a year before the park opened. 
Uh, and it is it is a video advertising uh, the opening of Universal Studios. And I, I couldn't pinpoint, because they weren't exact with it, I couldn't pinpoint if it was 88 or 89, but it was definitely sometime in the late 80s. Yeah, um, for sure. That they, well, we know it's before 1990. Right. Because of what the video is about. Right, which, which means that this was actually, this was the first thing that Christopher Lloyd shot as Doc Brown before the sequels. Uh, because, uh, that's fun. That's, yeah. That's a, that's a cool little, yeah. It's really interesting because I, I mean, I, as far as I know, I think this is the only thing that he, he played Doc Brown in between Back to the Future and Back to the Future Part 2. Uh, but yeah, so like the, the story of this video is that there are some shadowy execs. Uh, and literally they are in the shadows <laughs> and you can't, you can't make out their features. And one of them is yeah, like, like the council and the event. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and they're basically, uh, saying like, how are we going to get people to come to this park? How can we advertise it? And mm -hmm. they're like, well, we could it's do the late eighties. Disney's never been weaker. Right. <laughs> let's, let's pounce on this. <laughs> and so, uh, they're like, well, we have a slideshow or what? Ah, no, 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 no. That's not going to be good enough. We have to show them what this park is like, uh, so they can really understand there. And, and the exec is like, but that we can't do that because we're still building it. Like the park doesn't exist yet. So how can we show them what it's like? I mean, it's, it, you know, maybe in 1990 when the park opens, we could show them what it's like. But today, tomorrow, you know, how can we do that? The only way we could do that is if we traveled to the future. <laughs> Cut yeah, to. I got a guy. <laughs> One guy's like, I got a guy. Yeah. <laughs> Cut to uh, Doc Brown and his DeLorean being hired by Universal Studios to travel to the future and film what the park looks like in the future. Uh, and this well, is what, what's the line like the future? That's my territory. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's just Doc Brown running around Universal Studios, uh, getting into hijinks on these rides uh, and, and filming them. And we get we get Kyle, we get like our crossover, uh, which is we do, which is that Doc Brown straps on a Ghostbusters yes. pack and and blows away the uh the state puff marshmallow man. <laughs> well, not before Scott. Yeah, this is what it's all been leading the, to. The, so the the theme song drops and then Doc Brown looks into the camera and says Ghostbusters. Yeah. Like like with the song before and it's in a <laughs> In a video that isn't shy with really just triple A moments, mm -hmm. <laughs> that was definitely a high. I mean, I you know, there's there's Doc uh, uh, seeing King Kong and jumping out of the out of the hanging train that he's in. Um, and my my favorite bit of the whole thing is Doc landing in a raft uh, as 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 Bruce himself, uh, <laughs> Jaws. Uh, attacks and just him pivoting his head to the sound of the Jaws music. <laughs> it's full of so many great moments and, and, and great cameos too. I mean, we have both Lassie and Angela Lansbury. I mean, what's going to sell a family mm -hmm. of four on a summer vacation other than seeing that the, they can actually experience murder she wrote in a theme park setting. I mean, we were pretty much booking our flight from Delta at that point right there, but uh, it, 
To this day, the only episode of Murder, She Wrote I have ever seen <laughs> is the five-minute scene that you experience <laughs> in that Murder, She Wrote oh. experience. Oh, it's, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, like I was watching um, this. I, I was like watching this thing, and you, you see him like directing a Murder, She Wrote, and then creating the sound effects and 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 making the noise of her dropping that whatever that that like ceramic globe thing that she's holding in the in the scene and i was like oh wow i remember this it was just like a rush of memories of doing (laughs) that um uh, yeah it was was nuts that's crazy uh there's also a great moment after so he's directing an episode of murder she wrote (laughs) and then he realizes that he doesn't oh he's conducting a symphony he's like he's like scoring something and then he realizes that he doesn't know anything about (laughs) filmmaking so he should learn from someone who does cut to him exploring the uh, the Alfred Hitchcock ride. Yeah. Yeah, well, the house from Psycho. <laughs> the house from Psycho. Which, yeah. With which, him dressed as 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 Mrs. Bates at some point. Oh if I'm correct God. too, the house from Psycho was yeah. in Universal Studios Hollywood. It wasn't in Universal Studios Orlando. They had the Hitchcock experience there, but it was pretty much just a bird's 3D experience. So I think it's safe to say that he I think he filmed a lot of this in California. The 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 Hitchcock thing there was there was um uh, different portions to it. So there was the birds 3D thing which was literally mm. just birds flying at the screen yeah. in 3D. Um <laughs> and that was it. Uh that was the whole thing. Um but then you would move on to different different sections and so there was like a section that would recreate it showed you how they did like the vertigo shot. Um, that's right. Yeah. Of, of, uh, of, of, a deep falling, focus stuff. yeah. Falling from the building. Um, and then they would recreate the shower scene from psycho, uh, with, uh, two members from the audience, one playing Marion and one playing, uh, Norman Bates. Um, that's fun. That's yeah. fun to do. Yeah. And I was, I was always upset because I always wanted to play Norman, but I wasn't tall enough. Cause you had to be, you had to be six, two to be able to play Norman. Um, and, and so, yeah, I never, I never got picked cause I was a child. Um, but, uh, mm. that was also, that was also the ride that like made me a big psycho nerd, uh, and get really into that movie and the whole mythology behind that movie. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, the thing that really struck me with, with doc Brown walking around the psycho house <laughs> Is that I was like, oh wow, this this like almost confirms our theory about uh, about about George killing his parents and pretending to be them when no one's around. <laughs> yeah, it's all connected. <laughs> oh man, that was crazy. Um, yeah, no, this is if you guys, I, I'm gonna post this video in the uh, the the uh, Listener Preservation Society on Facebook. Um, so if you're on Facebook, you're definitely going to want to check this thing out because I mean, it is, it claims to be in continuity. Uh, and, and literally I think like Doc Brown's, one of his opening lines is like, is like future that the future, that's my domain. And now I'll go on my greatest adventure of all Orlando. Um, like it's, it is Christopher Lloyd is in. Fine, fine form. Oh man, he thing. was he was giving it his all. He's like, committed, yeah. He, there was no reason for him to be doing this, um, at all. And my fit, my favorite. Well, there was of, a reason, and it rhymes with schmontract. Well, but, yeah. <laughs> well, no, this wouldn't have been part of his contract. He we would have he would have just signed up for this for the paycheck. <laughs> um, okay. Well, still, but, like he doesn't he does not need to be this on. And, no, and he totally is. Oh, he so is. 
Um, it's great. And what, what's really funny is he goes to every ride except for the back to the future ride. And then at the end, he's running through all the rides that they saw. And then he says back to the future, like in the middle. And he's like, wait, back to the future. Well, I don't have time for that one. And then I think I, forgot, I must've missed that one. Yeah. He was like, oh, I don't have time now. We got to go back to the present. Um, and uh, I, and then, and then, and but, but what I love about in. that though is that the reason for that is because they didn't know what the ride was yet when they made this. They just knew that they were working on one. Yeah, um, which is uh, pretty. <laughs> oh, great. oh! I forgot the part where he 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 talks about going to ET's homeworld. <laughs> yes. He oh, finds was out that aliens. He finds out that aliens were real. Oh, he <laughs> looks through trees and he sees lights and just goes. It can't be. And then you just cut to a UFO. Oh, and he's riding the he he he's riding a bike and then it cuts to the iconic, you know, bike going over the moon and he's like, and it was out of this world. Like <laughs> clearly recorded like after the because it look it's Elliot. It's it's Elliot's but he's like, Oh, I'm on the bike now. Yeah. This is an ADR, I swear. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. It, like you, every, every listener of this show owes themselves to go watch this. You know, it's funny because I think the history of theme parks or history of just like a fine, fine cheesiness. And this might be it at peak cheese, peak 80s, 90s, like cheese. It's, it's so great. And it, it's immersive 10 minutes too. Oh, so you can't really, like your attention is focused missing. the whole time. Oh yeah. No, it, it runs at a clip. It's not it's not boring. It's just really silly and fun. And and then the saddest part though is at the end when he starts listing all of the rides and all of them are closed except for ET. It's the only oh, yeah. one that's not closed. Yeah. <laughs> so are they just waiting are they just waiting for Steven Spielberg to like return to Aoa and then they can turn the ET ride into something else? Uh yeah, kind of. So okay, so here's the thing. Uh they Universal has a contract with Nintendo to build Nintendo Land. It's going to be coming to Japan first, I think in like 2020, and then we're going to be getting it in like 2021 or 2022. I kind of think that that's like the final nail in the coffin on the theme park battle between uh, Disney and Universal, because I mean, as great as Star Wars is going to be, we still have a few Star Wars movies that are going to be coming out. There's a lot of chance for them to fumble that franchise between now and then. Uh, Nintendo is kind of that's 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 a property that nobody else has in theme parks right now, and it's so strong. Uh, I've seen the plans for this, uh, and it's pretty much built all around the ET ride. It's almost kind of like eating it. It's almost like Pac-Man eating a pellet or something like that. And the, the thing is, is that Spielberg um, wants that ride to stay, and it's it's a man. Scott, you've you've ridden the ride, right? ET. Oh, it is. It is. I I mean, it is glorious and it's absurdity. Yes. Like it is, it is like, like the best worst ride you'll have ever been on. <laughs> it's like, honestly, honestly, yeah. the ride itself isn't even like my favorite part of the ride itself is definitely the, the bit where you come around the corner and you're like flying over the city, like the miniature city, you yes, know, yeah. that, like that is always like kind of, that's like pretty impressive looking. But when you go to his yeah. home world, uh, and it turns into a musical, 
It is. Yeah. There's the, nothing that can prepare you for that. No. I mean, you're just like, did I take mushrooms? Because all yes. of the mushroom shaped things are talking to me now. It, that's um, the first thing you is, see. This mushroom looks up and it starts talking to you. I, I The same thing, man. I'm writing with, with Brady, my brother, and our two other brothers. We wrote it like, I think in the mid 2000s and we'd all forgotten what it was. And when we got to that part, uh, we have another brother, Hunter, and I turned to him and I'm like, did you slip me some bath salts before we got on this thing? Because there's no way I'm seeing baby <laughs> ETs sliding up and down giant guitar guitars made out of fungus right now are you all seeing this i had to confirm it with everybody it is <laughs> insane there's nothing that can prepare you for the end of that ride no oh it's it's absolutely bananas but the best part of the whole experience is the is the queue in the interior oh, yeah. queue when you're on like a, a like a wo- the woods from et you're in the woods and you're in line in the woods but they're like fake woods mm. because it's a set and that's like my favorite part because it's just so like it, it just it it feels like it's like air conditioned, yeah. but like you feel like you're outside. So it's just like I whenever whenever I'm like, can we just can we just like take a second and we've been walking all day? Can we just take a second and just go ride the <laughs> ET ride? Because it's it's a really yeah. soothing experience riding the ET ride. Um, so from that perspective. I, I kind yeah. of don't want it to go anywhere because it's it is a very very soothing experience. But I imagine what's going to happen, and I'm gonna I'm gonna call it right now. Okay, I'm gonna call it right now. We'll see if I'm right. I'm gonna call it right now. That ride will not close until after Ready Player One comes out. When Steven Spielberg <laughs> goes, let's turn it into a Ready Player One ride. Oh my gosh! Uh, I think you're onto something there. I think if if Ready Player One hits like it very well could, and uh, it hits with audiences, I absolutely think that they could that they could overdo. Because yeah, the only yeah. way that, that means that gets a real estate is his. Yeah, it, it it needs to stay his ride. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. the only way that they're going to change it up, and you could even keep a lot of the. Uh, like the programming of like like putting your name in and the whole that whole process because that works for the the theming of Ready Player One. So it's that would that would play. I I would only I think I think a Ready Player One ride should be you have to do what that kid does to prepare for the game. You have to watch every Kevin Smith movie. <laughs> <laughs> you have to memorize war games before I get on yeah. this thing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, in any pretend event, that no one of color has ever written any science fiction or fantasy. Exactly. <laughs> in any event, uh, yeah, you, the Universal Studios experience is really interesting because it's not. I mean, like, like, I mean, they don't even call it Universal Studios anymore. It's just Universal Orlando. Right. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just Universal. It's not. It's not Universal Studios because it's not a studio anymore. It's just a theme park. Uh, yeah. and, you know, it could have been Florida continued to have those uh, nice tax credits, but uh, looks like, you know, <laughs> that never panned out like they really wanted mm-hmm. it to. So, but I mean, we are lucky. It, it could have just been Harry Potter land too. Yeah, that's yeah. true. That's true. And um, the back to the future ride, do you go to Dom's home world? Oh, you mean in the, in the, in the fat, the fast and the furious, right? Well, oh yeah. The fast and the future, the ride, you go to Dom's home world and see all the little, Doms. there actually is a uh, fast and furious ride. I, I don't yeah, think yeah. it's open yet. Yeah. It's, it's, it's also very strange. The technology that they come up with for universal rides is when you get any new experience, you're like, Oh, I never would have thought that they would apply something like this to a ride, but here we are. It's uh man, it's weird. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's super yeah. weird. I, uh, stole my car. I will say, I think that, one of the best things they could do 
uh, universal. I think, and I think it would actually be a popular ride, especially amongst, um, you know, theme park nerds. Uh, if they made a ride that sort of was like an ode to that, that OG universal studios. And they just do like, basically like, you know, like a, like a thrill ride version of the great movie ride where they kind of like recreate that, that, that tram tour experience, but they make it like this big, like, you know, 4d experience ride where you're just like riding through universals, like catalog, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, I, I think something like that would be really cool to do. Um, and, and sort of be like, like, a you know, giving back for like, look, I know we closed Jaws and King Kong and Back to the Future, but there's this ride now and, and you can re-experience like those worlds again through this thing. Um, I think that would, it's funny you say that. Cause I think like in uh, 2011, I think it was Disney made an announcement at D 23 that they had perfected a technology that would bring back extinct attractions and that you could rewrite them. And they, they were like, Oh, we're going to bring Mr. Toad's wild ride back to Orlando. And then it never came to fruition, but there is some sort of ride vehicle like that, like what you're talking about, that through projection technology, they would recreate stuff. So there is a lot of hope out there that someday you'll go into something and maybe they'll be like, all right, what's, what's your, what's your, what ride do you want to ride? And you select Back to the Future from a menu and you can actually go back and ride it. Oh, that would be cool. That'd be really yeah. cool. Um, all right. Well, uh, I think that's all we got for, um, for the, the, the sort of like the history and, and behind the scenes of this of this uh, ride um, tomorrow, uh, what we're going to be doing and, and the rest of the week. So uh, as I said, the, the ride is sort of divided into sections. And so tomorrow we're going to be talking with a guest about the footage of the ride during the exterior queue, um, which is the, the outside, the line outside the building before you get inside and are divided into your ride parties. Um, and so we're going to be talking about all of that and it's, it's, uh, it's some interesting world building stuff. It sort of like shows you what doc Brown has been up to since the end of back to the future three, um, is, is sort of the concept. So, uh, we'll be talking about that tomorrow, uh, on Wednesday, we're going to be talking about, uh, that sort of, um, that room where you are divided into your parties and you're starting to get the beginnings of the narrative uh, and then on Thursday, we're going to be talking about the elevator uh, room footage, um, which is the rest of the narrative uh, leading directly into the ride and the safety video. And then on Friday, uh, we will be uh, we will have our the live recording from uh, the Movies by Minute Chicago show that Nick and I are, uh, are are doing there. And we're going to be talking about the ride itself, the footage from the ride um, proper. And we're going to be doing that live in Chicago. Uh, although by the time you're hearing this, it has already happened. So, um, you know, um, just the way it works. Yeah. Just the way it works. Uh, but, but that you will finally get to hear that on Friday and that will be our last episode ever. Um, so that's, uh, that's how this week is going to go. Uh, Kyle, thanks so much for joining us for this. Oh, it's been an honor, fellas. Thank you for having me on. It's been a lot of fun. Tell uh, tell people about uh, what you're what you do and have done over at Pele Media. 
Yeah, so at Pele Media, uh, we did Ghostbusters Minute, Jurassic Park Minute, and Goonies Minute, if you're familiar with the Movies by Minute format, and I assume you are. You've listened to uh, as far to Back to the Future Minute. <laughs> uh, we did those shows over there. They were a lot of fun. Uh, and right now, Pele Media has both a Patreon, where we do kind of a weekly bonus episode type thing, uh, just kind of about general pop culture. And we also have a sports podcast called Undrafted, which drops uh, usually every Monday. Sometimes it drops on a Tuesday, uh, which is all about the world of sports. I don't host that because I don't know anything about sports. I just produce it but uh yeah that's uh that's pele media in a nutshell ghostbusters jurassic park and goonies minutes um so go go check that out and uh we will be back tomorrow with the uh the 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 the, the external cue i wish i knew the, the actual technical terms of these things um but uh, uh it's called show one actually show yeah. one Show one, yeah. Show one is the cue. That's kind of your experience walking into a ride. Is uh, it's referred to as show one. Yeah, All there right. you go. Inside trick. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. So we'll be back tomorrow with show one. Bye, everybody. Bye.